Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. The market is settling down for the two big set-piece moments of December. A U.S. rate hike looks more and more likely. Also looking very, very much on the cards is further monetary easing in the eurozone. But what does this divergence mean for the rest of the world? How will emerging markets fare in a strong dollar climate? Will the dollar-led downward pressure on EM currencies, which after all has been a feature of much of 2015, continue into next year? Welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's podcast that looks at what's been happening over the course of the week in the world's biggest market. With me to discuss the prospects for EM is Peter Kinsella, Head of Emerging Markets Research at Commerce Bank. Peter, we've had a pause in the depreciation of EM currencies in the last couple of months. We've seen rallies in the Russian ruble, the Turkish lira, Brazil's real, just to name a few. The Fed's December rate hike, as I said, looks increasingly likely. So will we see a resumption uh, of that EMFX decline? I think it's probably rather likely you do see a resumption of, of a broad emerging market decline. However, I wouldn't say that the, the decline that we'll see in the coming months will be as aggressive or as notable as, as it was earlier in the earlier part of this year. The main reason being we've largely priced in a Fed rate hike in, in December. That seems to be a done deal, certainly from reading what the, uh, the FOMC said, said last night. But more to the point, really, for the year ahead, it seems that the Fed are taking, you know, more and more, it seems to be the case that the Fed are downgrading their own assessment of how aggressively they're going to hike rates. So the, the extent for it or the, um, the potential for an aggressive dollar appreciation in 2016 isn't quite what it was. Yeah. Nonetheless, we will see a little bit more dollar appreciation, in my, in my view, um, not merely just because of what the Fed do, but also on a trade-weighted basis. Um, many other central banks, of course, will be easing policy in, in, in the, over the course of 2016. Okay. We've had this divergence, haven't we, in, mm. the, in the dollar towards, on the one hand, the G10, other G10 currencies, and on the other hand, towards EM. So just... Looking at EM, a, a lot of the depreciation has there. Is, do you think there's a certain amount of exhaustion in EM depreciation that's coming off now? I certainly think that if if you look at the balance of payment situation of sort of you know the so-called fragile five and others, you definitely do see an improvement in their balance of payment situations. Yes. So the likes of Turkey, South Africa to a lesser extent, and certainly Brazil, and um, the current account deficits, which they illustrated in the earlier part of the year, they're now not as they're not as big as they were. They're not as large as they were which basically means that they're a bit less vulnerable to an aggressive U.S. rate hiking mm-hmm. cycle. The only thing ri- with it, though, is that um, in, in, obviously this happened in tandem with you know, very large commodity falls. So what you saw really was a, you know, a, a very noxious combination of uh, terms of trade declines and, and obviously current account issues. If you're of the view that commodities have largely um, stabilized at, at current levels, um, and then if you look at the, the, you know, the, the overall balance of payment situations you know, in these countries, then what you can say is that certainly there is not as much pent-up depreciation pressure now yes. as there was coming into 2015. So that would argue against having sort of a, a, you know, a further aggressive trend of EM currency weakness. 
However, that doesn't necessarily mean we should see EM appreciation continue. The reason being that um, if you look at the actual reasons why these balance of payments um, uh, and current account deficits contracted, they really uh, happened because imports collapsed. Yeah. Interestingly, exports didn't really do much at yes. all. And that being the case, given that these, these, uh, many of these countries are still commodity exporters, they'll want to have reasonably weak currencies to encourage their exports a little bit. Which makes us look at the fundamentals of these EM current mm-hmm. countries. And uh, do we see uh, much to get excited about? Do you feel, for example, there's any progress on big issues like dollar-denominated corporate debt and inflation, which in some places is very high? I think if you look at EM, and again, it's, it's a very broad term these days, you know. What I say, would say is that you see basically kind of two or three um, sort of differentiations, as it were. Obviously, you've got the Chinese slowdown and what's happening there. And then you've got the second derivative of the Chinese slowdown, which is really what's happening with so-called commodity currencies. So that would be South African rand, Brazilian real, you know, Russian ruble to a, to a lesser extent. And then you've got all of the other EMs, you know, so the likes of India and, and, and countries like that. If you look at emerging market growth as a whole in 2015, it was, you know, probably in the region of about 3.8, 3.9%, you know, on an aggregate basis. But within that, there are fairly big yes. divergences. Um, you know, get, if you take away the China effect and the commodity effect, actually, you know, EM growth wasn't too bad, right? So what basically you see coming, in, coming to the, the rest of the year, certainly if you look at corporate debt, that's definitely an issue for China. There's, there's no doubt about that. Much of that, however, is denominated in Chinese RMB, it's not necessarily in dollars. Dollar-denominated debt is, is certainly an issue in, in Latin America and yes. will continue to, to be so, and elsewhere. So um, I think that's definitely going to be an issue for the remainder of the year. That's no doubt about it. It's probably an issue which requires a more multifaceted and global response because it's having individual central banks dealing with this problem on their own is kind of will lead to a piecemeal policy response, yes. which, which isn't really ideal. And on inflation? On inflation, I mean, the, the overall trend actually is, is for lower inflation. That's, that's pretty clear. What's kind of interesting is when people talk about inflation, be it in G10 or emerging markets, if you look at inflation trends over the last 20 years, they've, they've pretty much fallen like a stone, despite the various cyclical sort of policies or cyc- cyclical monetary policies that central banks have had. Certainly, we're going to see most likely uh, slightly lower Chinese, um, Chinese CPI, and obviously that will translate into you know, sort of demand impulse shocks elsewhere with, with lower CPI levels there. Where you have elevated CPI, obviously, is the likes of Turkey, South Africa to a lesser extent, and, and obviously Brazil and Russia. Um, but again, this is more to do with idiosyncratic issues rather than just a, a broad EM sort of um, uh, story. But in a broad sense, one would have to say that it's most likely we're going to see this you know, very low inflation or even deflationary environment uh, persist. What that really means for me is that we're still likely to see further policy responses. So what that means is further easing from PBOC in China which basically means that EM bonds, in a broad sense, should remain reasonably well bid, certainly in local currency space. Okay. And just on, you talk about commodity currencies, but the price of oil has moved around a great deal. As we start to think about 2016, mm-hmm. uh, can we assume the same is going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, at least for the early part of, the, of next year? I'd assume with oil, and again, oil is obviously is a, historically a very tricky um, commodity for, to forecast because it's not merely a supply and demand issue. You're looking at a kind of an, an oligopoly, for want yes. of a better word, which, which, you know, which, which helps to control the oil price. Mm. Um, I, I certainly think that, yes, we will probably see a bit more, um, a bit more volatility, that, you know, as, as is always the case with oil, with oil. How that affects commodity currencies, per se, you know, the likes of ruble and Norwegian krona and, and, and others. Basically, m- my overall take would be that we're not likely to see an aggressive recovery in the oil price or, you know, anytime soon. 
Um, there's still a huge dearth or, or a huge, sorry, a huge glut of supply. That's very, very clear. Demand remains muted, one, one would say. So, you know, we're not going to see kind of a Lazarus-like recovery in, in the oil price anytime soon. Okay, but just, just trying to, I know it's, it's, it's impossible to draw a, a connection between one uh, EM currency and the EM basket as a whole. But if we mm. just took, for example, the ruble and, mm. and the appreciation in the ruble, and we look at a little bit about the idiosyncratic issues, what is driving support for the ruble uh, in the last couple of months? And where do we see the ruble heading? I think that the ruble is, is, a, is an interesting one because you've seen a, a little bit of an appreciation, not, nothing significant, I would say, but certainly a, a little bit of appreciation in, in recent weeks. Again, it's quite a volatile currency, so it's, it's possibly a, a little bit too early to read yeah. into it too much, and, and I, I would hasten people not to do that. Um, in my opinion, the Central Bank of Russia are playing a rather dangerous game. If you look at overall um, inflation trajectory, their real interest rates are still deeply negative in, in, in Russia. Now, if you look at month-on-month CPI, the, the actual underlying trend in CPI isn't all that strong, right? So that gives the, the central bank a little bit of room to cut mm-hmm. rates. However, given that it is Russia that does have a sort of a higher sort of political risk than, than other, um, other currencies, um, any sort of, uh, any, you know, sort of nascent appreciation is, it doesn't tend to last long. And again, given that the, you know, the, the ruble is, is really tied to the fortunes of the oil price, um, you don't have a lot of good, other good reasons to jump into to long ruble positions, in, in, my, in my opinion, at least. Yes. Um, and and that's, that's why I, you know, I, I would caution people to, before they do you, so. You've written, I think I'm right in saying, this mm-hmm. year about the folly of looking at valuation in, mm-hmm. in EM. Yeah. Uh, so people are obviously looking at uh, mm-hmm. uh, some pretty un, what they think are pretty undervalued uh, EM currencies and yeah. seeing buying opportunities. But I suppose you just think there's too many fundamental issues to look at it in such a plain, simple term. I think there are. I mean, certainly in the currency space, what you see is that uh, when we talk about valuation strategies, these are typically strategies that don't tend to perform at all well for long periods of time. And then they have sudden sort of uh, sudden, you know, brief aggressive periods of, um, of, of decent performance typically speaking, when risk aversion increases. So you see that currencies which are used as funding currencies, be it the yen or the Swiss franc, when we see increase, large increases in risk aversion, then these strategies tend to do well. The problem with it from an emerging market perspective is that investors don't buy, or certainly haven't bought uh, before, EM currencies on, on a valuation basis. Yeah. The reason they buy EM currencies is for carry. For carry. Now, yeah. what you see at present is that we don't have an environment, in my opinion at least, in which carry can perform anytime soon. EMDM growth differentials are still quite low in absolute and relative terms. You then have uh, obviously capital flows going from emerging markets back to uh, developed markets for the first time in nearly 30 years. And then on, on top of that, you've got reasonably higher volatility than was the case in previous years. So these are all factors which certainly argue against carry trade outperformance anytime soon. And in the, indeed, when we talk about carry trades, they typically tend to perform quite well when you've got an environment of broad dollar weakness. And, and that certainly isn't the case at the moment. So, you know, whilst, whilst the carry might be appealing in some, in some respects, um, it has been appealing all this year, but certainly carry trades underperformed. So, a- again, we're going to have periods when, you know, the likes of the ruble and the lira and, and so on, they'll perform you know, reasonably well for a few weeks. But the broader underlying trend, from my perspective at least, is for further weakness. Okay. And uh, just finally, Peter, to further this theme of scepticism mm-hmm. about China and the renminbi and your note uh, this week about the value of China entering the special drawing rights basket of the IMF, which you think is more symbolic and more politically motivated than of much benefit to the renminbi. 
Is that how? Is that a good way of summing it up? Broadly speaking, yeah. I think I think really what you see is that um, you know you see okay, you know China, you know now many sort of uh, analysts and commentators are saying that the RMB is going to be used you know as a reserve currency, etc. Now having a reserve currency doesn't necessarily give you an awful lot of benefits, right? There are many. You know, there is an argument which says that actually, well, reserve currencies can run more or less persistent trade deficits without being penalised. But there's plenty of currencies which, which you know are not reserve currencies, so so called, or at least in the SDR basket. Um, which have pretty persistent trade deficits, and the market doesn't really seem to punish them. From a Chinese perspective, really, the you know the the you know accessing this SDR basket now basically means that they have to bring in further measures to open up their capital account, and doing so at a time when it's pretty clear that you're seeing aggressive capital flight from China. I'm not necessarily sure that's in China's interests at the at the moment per se. Even that said, I mean, people can buy, you know, the Chinese RMB now, right? We, you know, and investors can do so, you know, irrespective of what, you know, the IMF say or don't say. But they're not. Um, <laughs> yeah, if they, want, if they wanted to, I would say. Yeah. So what that says to me is that, sure, it's, um, you know, it's, it seems to be uh, something that's being done more so for prestige reasons than, than anything else. If this eventually turns out to be a milestone in terms of reforming the governance of the IMF and maybe eventually having a non-European director of the, or managing director of the IMF, sure, we, we, might, we might well say, okay, this is kind of meaningful. But my overall take would be on it that this is really just a kind of a recognition of China's growing importance sure. in, in global economic governance. Uh, I think what the market really is interested in in this debate is whether if on November the 30th it does get the go-ahead, it therefore then is followed by the People's Bank of China resuming the downward move of the renminbi. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's probable? Yeah, I think it's I think it's more likely than not. Um certainly you're going to see further easing measures from PBOC over the remainder of even remainder of this year and coming into next year. So that will be both rate cuts and then cuts to the triple or requirements uh, requirement ratios. So you're definitely going to see more lax uh, monetary policy that makes sense and that should, you know, serve to weaken seeing, you know, uh, RMB over, over the short to medium term in, in any case. And that would be consistent with the underlying fundamental developments in, in the Chinese economy. Certainly, if we look at any of the activity proxies or activity indices that which we follow, they indicate that growth is slowing, not collapsing, but, but definitely slowing. And having weaker monetary policy and you know, weaker currency is, would be consistent with such an environment. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Peter Kinsella of Commerce Bank. We're heading into a pretty exciting end of the year. So please keep up to date with all FX developments on our website. Uh, ft.com forward slash fx and do join us again for the next edition of hard currency goodbye if you enjoyed listening to this podcast you might like to try our world weekly podcast which is presented by me gideon rachman the ft's chief foreign policy commentator each week i discuss one of the main political stories of the week with the ft's overseas correspondents and experts and you can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcast from wednesdays 